my name is Michael Kuehl, and I'm Roger Bell West, and this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, brought to you from the sunny heart of South Buckinghamshire. The daisies are waist high. Ah, uh, we're absolutely swamped in strawberries and cream, and, and, and it'll be Wimbledon soon, or I can hardly bear it. But for now, we're going to talk about, improv we're going to do some improvising. And we're going to be talking about uh, something Roger feels firmly about, and about Doctor Who. About which I also feel slightly firmly. Well, well, well firmish. Solidifying slightly. Onwards. On with a motley! is uh, as a result of a brilliant idea of mine, it says here. Having heard of competitions uh, wherein people improvise to put together uh, games and game settings at short notice out of a random selection of ingredients, analogous to what's called um, Iron Chef mm -hmm. in the US. I can't remember what it's called over here. Iron Chef, I think. No, no, it's, it's, it's a... Never mind, it's a TV programme. Um, um, we have decided to challenge each other um, with five ingredients, use at least three, um, to concoct some sort of game or scenario or something that might be fun. Right, who's going first? Uh, I've got a list of things. All right. Hit me. Right, number one, ships, air, sea, whatever. Okay. Number two, invisible contamination. Right. Number three, doomed romance. Ah. Number four, a defector. Right. Number five, a swarm of monsters. Oh, well, it all fits very well together, except for the swarm. Airship romance. In fact, the first and last flight of Airship Titanic. Over... This is obviously a steampunk... Thing. I think it works out to be a LARP. Yeah, it feels like one of those large-scale um, LARP things where you've got a bunch of people in a sealed environment heading towards um, certain doom, certain rescue, who knows what. This, I think, would fit into something like um, Kipling's uh, as easy as ABC World, or something like it. It's the first voyage of the airship Titanic. Um, and presumably the last. And the last. I think we put that in the title. The first brackets. Actually, the first footnote and last. Um, close footnote. Flight of the Royal Mail Airship Titanic. Setting off from, where was the airship base Croydon in the 30s? Somewhere like that. They flew from there, certainly. Uh, to, I, I've seen it used as, a, as an airship, um, international airship port. Um, they're, they're, they're perfectly safe um, from all manner of disasters. No more airstrike, no more sudden failures, because this will fly higher than any airship has ever flown before. Everybody knows there is nothing up there in space to inconvenience uh, the travelling public. 
All right. On board, you have, you've got to have, because after the damn movie, you've got to have the plucky young emigrant Irish going off to the United States to seek his fortune and the upper crust bird with, with whom he fall, falls in love and has inappropriate moments at, on the viewing gallery. And there's something in the upper atmosphere, because here, here we are penetrating the ether. And this is where man is not meant to go. Something begins to contaminate. Reach into the hearts of each person and tempt them um, with whatever it is they're tempted for. Now, it's well known in, uh, in LARPing that if you're doomed, being spectacularly doomed, they're giving the <laughs> chance go right over the top and gloatingly insane is something that well we should probably put it into the uh, pre-game questionnaire how how much do you uh, how dedicated to you are to survival are you <laughs> all right so we've got the that's that well that's the doomed love and gradually people begin to get their personalities begin to get um, exaggerated and taken over, and their minor quirks become major compulsions. You can have a sort of as above, so below thing here, because not not only do you have these people venturing into the upper atmosphere, you have the, this chap venturing into high society. Oh, that's which good. Has a I like that. Which contaminating effect on him. Oh, yeah, he is tempted by things. Um, yeah, one, uh, uh, their love is doomed for some reason or other, mostly, I think, because he tries to get her to the escape pods in time. Parachutes. But, parachutes. There is something invisible up there. I think escape pods are better. If you're going to come down in the Atlantic, you don't want that. You don't want to drop into the Atlantic with just a, with ju mm. just a parachute, honestly. Do they run into um, an, an invisible iceberg in the upper atmosphere? That's a remarkably solid cloud. Yes. Ah, oh, it's breaking up. It's breaking up. Um, quick crash of the 1960s there. All right. And there has to be... Hang on. What, what haven't I touched? Uh, a defector and a swarm of monsters. The defector. Well, there should be... Hmm. Who's it defecting from to... The 19... Well... Right, the defector has to be... The defector has to be from the um, foreign power who are using this... Hmm, do they... The foreign power wants to make contact with... Yes, there's a bunch of for, foreign scientists on board who are trying to make contact with the high ethereal plane to bring them down to serve the master race or the coming revolution, whatever the plot will fit. And one of them panics and and um, breaks free and, and explains what is going on. Come to think of it, this is either a LARP, in which case you've got a lot of people in closed space, some of them becoming corrupted and going insane, some of them, and them struggling for the final... Uh, for the for the last few ways out, or it's a two-hander. The girl and the boy, and it's their story, all the way through. As yeah, you could play it. You could use this up either way. The swarm, 
All right, well, there are things that live in the upper atmosphere. And sooner or later, the ill-advised scientists are going, to be, are going to attract them. And they're going to come down and they're not going to be as friendly and cooperative as they were, as mad scientists do, expecting them to be. And that's your grand climax, as the creatures which are translucent. I don't think they're totally invisible. But you can't spot them until they're, you're right up close. Creatures made out of cloud and ice. Actually, creatures creatures of living ice. That would be very nice indeed. They Funky don't, they don't want to spend long inside the airship because it's nasty and hot. Yeah, but they come in and they they start ripping away the, the, nasty, the skin of the nasty hot thing and tearing it to pieces and plucking out those who try to fight them and throwing them into the void. Oh, gosh. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, this comes to a grand doomed climax. <laughs> um, there is probably going to be not space, for, if there is space for the, for both of the, of the beloved in the, in the podcast, I think, I think both of them should have a means of a get out of jail free card which they have to they feel they can only use for their other half and they're too stupid to do it mm. so i don't know alternatively each of them has a way of getting out while condemning the other one and it's only if they both turn that down that they actually get the chance of having a dilemma oh yes i like that all right i think i think you, you can see where my my mind is go, is going here it has a very low survival rate, it's got to be said. Mm. Phrases that should not be in your vocabulary. Stop. I created you. You must obey me. <laughs> we are on the same side. We represent the future. Aye! Splot. You can actually hear the splot. The splot is a long way below. The captain should... If we're doing as a lot, the captain should be a major player character because he gets to... He gets to actually makes an enormous difference to how well the evacuation goes. And there should be... Yeah, trouble is, for full dramatic effect, you need rather quite a few people who are going to break underneath the strain. So I, re reward them for doing so, perhaps. Yeah. But it's... it's hmm. Yes, you can see the possibilities. Hmm. Right, part the second... I have been um, going back to my first childhood, as I approach my second, and thinking about things from the 1960s. Okay. So, the flavour here, and the first, um, the first element, which you might want to include, is one of those uh, super spy shows from the, from the 60s. So the Avengers, the uh, Champions, that lot. Department S. Lovely right. plausibility variable, but the basic yeah. idea we get. Yeah. A style over substance, um, pretty much all the time. The second is a historical event, the Torrey Canyon, because I know you've been thinking about disasters recently. The third and fourth are two uh, historical real personages, who are just weird enough that you might want to include them. <laughs> One is Mary Whitehouse, the anti-filth uh, campaigner, and the other is Lieutenant Commander Bill Bokes, DSC. <laughs> How did it go? Uh, Democrat, uh, public safety, democratic uh, monarchist, white resident, 
candidate for um, Parliament on innumerable, well, probably quite innumerable occasions, and a man who at one time held the record for getting the lowest number of votes in a British by-election. Oh, and finally, because it's England, because it's summer, and because you can stick this into any English scenario, Morris dances. Well, that explains the connection with filth, clearly. Well, the, the, the Torrey Canyon, as you all know, was, was an oil tanker that ran, ran aground off the south coast. First one that ha it wasn't the first one that happened, but it was the first one that came to most people's attention. It was, it was the first well-known one, yeah. Uh, sp spilled a lot of oil. Uh, there, there were attempts made to bomb it to set the oil on fire, which well, rather embarrassing. Which rather embarrassing. Well, yeah, I think the fleet air arm was involved. Rather embarrassingly, they couldn't hit a stationary <laughs> ship for seven days. So, okay, we 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 ha we have a tanker that is spewing out filth. So what we have, therefore, is a this this whatever dubious chemical it is that is, is described as oil because people know what oil is. It 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 is hallucinogenic. Right. It is causing people to indulge in you know, incest and folk dancing. <laughs> Simultaneously. Probably. It's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. The player characters, the the super spies, are. Go, going to investigate some some slight weirdness in a village, possibly somebody has some somebody of mild importance to the ministry, right. has died of excessive folk dancing after after about a week. Yes. So so they go down and you know, yes, lots of quaint rural traditions, for for a change, not the ones that involve human sacrifice. Good. Um, but there's 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 all this stuff going on, and what clearly what what what's needed as an answer to this. Is people who are immune to the, to the um, this moral hallucinogenic effect. Of course, and two of those examples, perhaps just down there on holiday. Because or, or Ma Mary Whitehouse, in her early days, in the sixties, is her relatively early days, was actually a lot more reasonable than she got later on. Uh, her, her basic approach, as far as I can see, it was this: this sort of thing is all very well behind closed doors, but I don't want to have it shoved in my face when I'm out and about. In effect, mm. and television was in effect shoving it, shoving it in people's faces. So I, th I think she's viable as a player character, though this might be the life-changing event that um, makes her more expensive yes. later. Yes. Um, and Bill Burks, of course, was was immune to any ideas not his own. <laughs> though though I, I gather that um, when people said, "Oh, you must be a racist because of that whole white resident thing," um, he he deliberately stood against um, National Front type people. Yeah. And quite often outpolled them. <laughs> He he will of course have have his famous wheelbarrow of bricks. What did he do with the wheelbarrow of bricks? Wheeled it very slowly across pedestrian crossings to assert his right of way over the motorist. Hmm. All right. That I'm not sure how you tie that that in with somehow that whatever the evil is has to be stopped. Yes, that that gets a little bit trickier. I admit. I mean, there's not much one can do with a barrow of bricks, or indeed moral indignation. Mary Whitehouse as a player character is. Brave. <laughs> what we've got is is, is this um, cesspool of filth and depravity on the south coast. Yeah. Once the contamination is no longer coming in, what needs to be done is to persuade people to get to go back to their you know, non-sleeping with their sister ways. Yeah. Sabotage the Morris dance. Oh. Why is the Morris dance central to this adventure? 
Why, it, it, it is the symbol of the depravity. Well, wouldn't it be... Hang on. This is, this is an Avengers episode. You need a deliberate villain. The spillage... Mm. The... All right, all right, all right. Let's let's give up Mary Whitehouse as a player character because a conspiracy between these two could have a very similar effect. Okay. Uh, mo mo modern life is is causing this sort of filth. Bring in the television news crews. Look at this filth. This is disgusting. We ought to do something about this. Right. That that is the master plan. So Mary Whitehouse is 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 the evil mastermind. Mm. I, I admit it, it appeals it appeals to the modern sensibility more. And uh, the, the connection with Bill Burks, he, he was in the Navy, he knows a certain amount about ships. Hmm. He can arrange the initial sabotage. I was rather hoping Bill Burks would turn out to be the hero. Mm. Yeah, all right. So Bill Burks has a rate... He, he could well be the henchman who changes sides. That's true. Because un unlike the uh, less passion through, less protein bloke, he was not permanently scarred by his experiences in the Navy. <laughs> One of the few who wasn't. Yeah, the show uh, notes are going to be strange on this one. <laughs> so, so what we what we have is is this accidental death that happens too early. Oh right, which is which is why the player characters show up while the plot is still developing. Right, and so the... what 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 was supposed to happen is in another few weeks, every, everything is fully matured and and dis and um, thoroughly disgusting, and then the news crews can be called in. Right. Yes. Or or this happens before the big spillage. Mm. The big spillage has uh, has has yet yet to come. Yes, a, a, a possibly an early release for testing purposes. Then, yeah, an, an accidental, yeah, an, 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 an accidental early clue. And the Morris the Morris dance is especially arranged to drive people towards beastliness, animal passions. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't seen men waving handkerchiefs and thought, ooh, uh, missus? Who hasn't seen how much Morris dancers drink? Ah, <laughs> oh, for some people it's waving, waving, waving the bells on their legs that does it. <laughs> All right, I think you have given us... Ladies and gentlemen, if you have enjoyed this segment, I feel like throwing five ingredients into the pot and seeing what we make of them. We would really, really like to hear from you. <laughs> This is going to be something of a rant. I'll sit back and take the shoes off, shall I? I like Hamlet's Hit Points, a book by Robin Laws. I think it's an excellent piece of analysis of how tension goes up and down during a narrative. Uh -huh. But I think it's I think the suggestions are wrong. So here here is my anti Hamlet manifesto. Point one. Yeah. Role playing games are, in a very broad sense, a form of storytelling. I don't mean that's beginning, middle and end, but mm. what makes it a role-playing game rather than a board game is that you are constructing a story. It may be incidental to what else you're doing, but that is a thing that is happening. Okay. So, like any form of storytelling, there are narrative shapes and patterns and things that can emerge naturally from what you do. Yeah. And if, if you're making a film, um, it fits quite well into either about... 10 to 20 minutes or about 90 minutes and things in between are more difficult. Some of that's some of that's some of that's convention and some of that's the 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 uh, duration of the human bladder. 
but yeah. The, the number of characters people are happy to keep track of varies between media. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, so the, there are patterns that emerge naturally from it, and there, there are others that you can impose on it from outside forms. Mm-hmm. And I don't think those foreign shapes and patterns of story are necessarily superior to the native ones. Yeah. For example, one is cautioned against anticlimax, because in, in a conventional narrative, yeah. it's generally speaking a fairly good idea to be gradually winding up the tension until there is the, the, big, the big moment where things could either go completely right or completely wrong. Yeah. And so you, so you can't have, in a, in a film or a book, the, the, the hero is plotting the big assault on the bad guys and then it all goes right. Mm. Even though in in real life that's really what people hope will happen, um, yeah, I, I, something has to go wrong. Maybe the villains are expecting them, and the whole plan gets thrown out, or mm. there's something else they didn't know about, and they have to do the other thing as well. But in a game, because it, you've got that interactivity, because you've got the um, sense that this, this is not just a thing that was imposed, but it's a plan you came up with yourself, it can be entirely satisfying just to say, yes, that plan worked. Yeah, the, we we didn't get shot. Well, the the thing is, the inheritance uncertainty. Even if you you've every system that I, I like always has a chance of the the unhappy accident just blowing it at the last moment. There yeah, is a, a book will never be about the heroes who set out on their quest and, and got killed. True, but a, a role playing game can be. Yeah. A standard fiction model could could well be, we know the good guys are going to win. You, you, you see a James Bond film, you know James Bond is going to yeah. end up defeating the bad guy. But the question is, at what cost? You know, What, what is he going to pay? What, what are other people around him going to pay? And, so on. Mm. and that's fine. But in a role-playing game, you don't need to have that certainty because you don't have an ongoing franchise to support or whatever. Let's not throw it away. Yeah. Let's say, OK, you know, sometimes the player characters are simply going to fail, at least potentially. Yeah, I think the the more you try to control the pace and, and tension and so on, the the more you're moving either towards the GM as author, yeah. or the GM plus players as authors rather than as as arrangers, as managers, as directors, um, as, as script editor and script writers, rather than being purely in character. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm uh, saving comments up. I'm yeah, the, 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 the thing that role playing games have that other storytelling forms don't is that is that interactivity, and I think that. Simply the existence of that means that one has potentially different priorities. And basically, but by summary, is imposing these these foreign shapes, t- taking the beat pattern of Doctor No or yeah. Hamlet or whatever, and, and imposing that in a role playing game without considering why it's not native in the first place, yeah. risks losing the joy that's in the native patterns mm. and and the virtue that's in them, and and it could can at least in some cases make for a worse game. Okay. I'm gonna. I have often thought that this degree of management of the of the structure, as well as having bad psychological, as well as tearing apart any sense of being there, of um, immersion. It's rather like early efforts um, in the cinema, which used the theatre form. Um, mm. Uh, curtain up, curtain down. This is I, an act. I, I think this, this, is a, a, this is a very good, good example of, of imposing external forms on a new yeah. medium. We, ha- I don't know if we're yet at the stage. 
well, I think I think we're at the at the stage where uh, cinema was in the twenties and thirties still trying to find out what it could, can do. We're with Hitchcock um, in his his early, early experiments, rather than with Orson Welles um, taking a big step forward and opening up yeah. the for the for the form of cinema. I think we can do it. Um, and, and there are minor things like sound and colour and so on, which did require things to be done differently if they were going to be brought on board. But technical, yeah, it, it, this is one reason I don't see I don't see the advances in um, computer uh, role, role gaming yet making an enormous amount of difference. They may, um, especially as um, as virtual reality and, and that sort of thing get better and better. But um, mm. may, may I just uh, go on to a side note on that? Go on. Um, I've run a certain number of conventional role-playing games with either voice or video links, yeah. and this works. But one has one has to make accommodation for that. It, it's it's never quite as good as actually being there. Well, you haven't got the yeah. You, and you you've got the virtue that you can get everybody there who couldn't otherwise physically make it. But in the actual play experience is, is, is not improved by this. You actually want to be. You actually want be all all the cues when you're doing the negotiating and playing around the table. You actually want all the the, the social and physical cues mm. that you get from actually speaking to people in person. The other thing is what what I see being done um, as advances in computer role playing is much more on the computer. I think of the computer role playing game side as opposed to the role playing game side. You yeah. you get thing. There, there was never Winter Nights a few years ago, which is basically um, if you, if you set up your dungeon with standard monsters and standard traps and so on, you can simply run the players through it without any actual human DM required. Yeah, and I, I see a lot of things along those sort of lines where you say yes, you can build your adventure, and then the um, the the computer will take care of worrying about visibility ranges and, and lighting and how far away the enemy is and whether you hit them and things like that, so you don't have to do any yeah. tedious calculations, which is fair enough. But it's it's really replicating the very early days of role playing games that the the, the, um, the skirmish game. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's a long way from a point the point at which you can, as you can do when you're a, when you're GM at a table, think this is getting dull. I think I will throw in a couple of more monsters, or I will I will cut through the next scene and we will go straight to the confrontation with the with the second biggest biggest bad. Yeah, or the, this fight is getting boring. Let's just let's just remove about half, half the enemies who haven't shown up yet. Yeah, it what, when it becomes a tool for the GM to use live, then it will be something. But I, I mentioned it because yesterday somebody showed me. Um, a set of goggles and a uh, and a flight simulator game, which was quite impressive. So mm -hmm. I mentioned it. It will be coming, but we're nowhere near there yet. All right. Well, going back to your main points, I feel that storytelling is something that happens as a side effect of the experience of being of being there. I don't think it's the end. The what's the word? Telios. The, the, I don't think that. The thing you produce at the end is always the purpose of uh, of what you're what you're doing. Sometimes the doing of it is the is the pleasure. Until the, there are people who find baking bread a lot more satisfying than eating it. 
Mm. I, I have, well, we, we've talked about it before, listening to or watching recorded role-playing sessions, and sometimes that's fun, but it, it's nothing like as good as the real thing. No, but it, it's useful for, for me mostly as a record. I'm not hostile to the uh, to the changes, to some of the story-based changes to making the thing that happens fit more to the, the genre and structure and type of adventure that we inherit from uh, other forms. We're going to be talking about uh, Doctor Who a little mm. later, and that's a, a good example how the, those games have adapted the stuff from the uh, from the television series. I got the feeling I don't want to want to present myself. I don't want to be thought of as a reactionary. I think it's just I have a feeling that a lot of this stuff is going off down. The wrong, um, going off down, down, down a side tunnel and isn't, isn't adding to the fun of, of the game. But maybe. Well, well, I think what I'm trying to bring in here is, is an antithesis to this new idea out of which will come a synthesis. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying this new idea is completely valueless. I'm, I'm just saying let's not apply it blindly. Okay. Okay. Is there anything more we should say? Well, there's, there's um, railroadiness, I think, is a factor here. Yeah, true. Um, particularly if, if you've got a fairly conventional setup where the players don't have much narrative control. I mean, they, they've got control over the actions of their characters. Yeah. If the GM is trying to manage pacing, then that becomes quite railroady, potentially. Yeah. Even if it's just a matter of, OK, I'm, I'm, they, they've just had a hard fight, I'm going to throw in a bit of comic relief. Hmm. And the, the, the gumption argument was always, this game is about solving the mystery. Yeah. Therefore, there is a defined conclusion. Therefore, yes, it's going to be a railroad, so let's not worry about it. I really must try and run some gunship. I'm not mm. sure. I, I've played it, and that didn't really quite do the trick for causing me to understand it, so, so I, I, I probably ought to run it as well. But it, it, it's still... It, it, it's very good at replicating the mystery novel or the, the investigative novel, or the yeah. investigative film. But what it, what it doesn't handle is the coming up with a completely barking idea, or... You know, Sometimes you do go off down the wrong road, and you can have all, you can have a lot of fun going off down the wrong road because you didn't find the crucial clue, and then coming back yeah. to. I think the the thing that's pleasurable about reading a detective story is the moment when you go aha, mm. when you when it all slots together, either because you you you've seen you've seen the correlation of patterns, or because maybe you haven't and they've just explained it to you at the end. The the, the aha moment is. What you want, a gumshoe isn't feeding that to people. It is feeding the stage before. It, it, it's and making sure you've you've got all the bits that you need to put the, in order to put the bits together. Yeah, which is fair enough. And I, I have known a, a, a GM who was notorious for running adventures which would involve, you know, half an hour, forty-five minutes of introduction, three hours of banging our heads against the wall. <laughs> then we would finally work out what was going on and, and deal with it. Um. And they were great fun. I wouldn't want to play them every week, but that's a style of adventure that can't, that can't fit into this model. No. What's the expression? Pixel bitching. You have to go around in the old, in some of the old computer games, and find the precise right point on the screen to click with your mouse, and that's what collecting clues feels like in the, in some role-playing games. It must be said. And I, I do read quite a few mystery stories, and I, and I enjoy that as, as a separate way of doing things. Does it really work? Obviously, investigative games work a lot. We both run quite a lot of them. Yeah. But are, are, are we emulating mystery stories? And 
to a limited extent I am, but I, I think, to be honest, the, the plots I run in games are usually quite a bit simpler than a good detective novel. Yeah, I think they have, well, you, you have time constraints. Yeah. You're, you've, in, in a way, you're not, you're not quite as constrained as the writers of a, a, an hour mystery for television. You mm. really do have to make it one issue, one thing that will unlock it, and then everything falls into place. Um, though some of the longer serial stuff that comes out can play more complicated games. Yeah. I do wish more of them would have a clear idea of what the hell's going on from the beginning, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the production model. If you're going to get cancelled, why bother? For your own aesthetic satisfaction? <laughs> I don't know. Because Well, I, I agree with you. But, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we're banging against an open door here or um, offering val valuable criticism and feedback. I think I think there is a thrill to not knowing how the hell things are going to turn out that should not be lost for the GM and for the players. But hmm. I think this ties back to something we've talked about a few times, uh, which hmm. is character death and the possibility of it. Yeah. If you are... Well, the, the, the classic Call of Cthulhu adventure... Yeah. Uh, whether, whether that's in Trailer Cthulhu or the actual Call of Cthulhu yeah. published campaigns, consists of you go, you go to place A and you get one or more clues which lead you to other places, mm. and and there is probably a fight or some sort of physical challenge. And basically, the the, the clues are not particularly hard to solve, but the, the resolution is either going to be you fail one of the physical challenges, or you with, get, with which yeah. I include insanity. Yeah. You, you fail one of the mechanical challenges, let's say, yeah. or you get to the end and win. Uh, by by the nature of the thing, that's railroady because it's a published published adventure. Yeah. But you you, it's an it's an open world, e even if the scenario doesn't doesn't say it. Yeah. There, there there is the rest of the real world that you can go and visit. You you don't, you're you're not actually restricted to location A and location B. It's just the world might end if you don't go to location A and location B. Yeah, but you can come up with a completely off the wall idea. True. Um, let's say these are desperate times. Let us go and cra crash the Hindenburg. That will solve a problem. <laughs> well, obviously, the, 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 if, if the Hindenburg crashes, the Nazi party will, will never su survive the blow to its pride. That's what it was. Right. Fair enough. Okay. Have we come to an end? I think this? so. Okay. Rant over. Um, do let us know if you feel like ranting about something. Normal service is being resumed. Last time, it was last time, I think, we were talking about uh, time travel games. And I expressed uh, a fervent desire that I might be able to read Narcissist, which was the unpublished, and as I now know, unfinished uh, set of third book in the Continuum season. Uh, series. Uh, and some kind person provided me with a copy of this, and I have to say you should not express your wishes too hard, <laughs> because it doesn't really resolve anything. In fact, makes things even more confusing and um, really quite unplayable. But from the point of view of the people who are fighting against the guardians of the existing timeline, um, I'm not sure why they would want to do it. They have this faith expressed in this book, Narcissist, that 
if they can just stand in the right place, they can drop out of our reality entirely. But no evidence for this is given, and um, there's nothing in the book to indicate what it would be like if you moved off into a, a, an alternate timeline, or how you control it, or anything like that. And as you appear to be trying to fight against the man with second-hand equipment, which is highly unreliable and is liable to get you killed if you use it too violently. Paranoia, the time travel game? Uh, yeah, yeah. And you, you don't have as good a support as you do in a parano paranoia game. Um, R&D, um, well, uh, there is no R&D. There is merely a man in the back room who's cobbling something together <laughs> and has just, never mind, done unpleasant things to recruit you to his cause. On the whole, uh, as I say, I've never yet... I, I get these madnesses about searching for um, lost bits of role-playing history. I'm always disappointed, damn it. I believe the publishers or some of the publishers or some of the authors regard this as still under development and have, have mentioned within the last couple of years that they, they are planning to get a new version out at some point. I would be fascinated, though not necessarily in the financially supported sort of way, uh, to see it. But Roger... Speaking of time travel, has been rereading re and reviewing the various efforts to bring Doctor Who uh, to uh, the role-playing table, and this ties back to the previous segment. It's it's an interesting sort of challenge because I think a lot of role-playing games, certainly a lot of early role-playing games, yeah. are about listing stuff, True. stuff you can do, stuff you yeah powers you have, equipment you have, all the guns in the world, yeah. So here, here is your set of your, your character, including yeah. the, the things, the resources they can call on. Now, now here's a challenge: you go do do something clever with the things you have. And Doctor Who is not like that. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who is about coming up with new stuff. I, I'm ta I'm talking particularly yeah. about the classic series here. I, I have seen the new series. I, I regard it essentially as a separate program with some things in common. Okay, go on. It, 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 it's, it's made for a different sensibility. You've been, re you've been trying, not yet successfully, to watch the, the old series all the way through. Yep, I've got to the end of the good bit, but <laughs> where that good bit is we can argue about. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the, if, you, if a Doctor Who game should let you do the sort of things that happen in Doctor Who, all right. which seems a re a, as reasonable a guide as any, yeah. One of the things, one of those things is new stuff is made up. Um, it's not, I look through my skill list and say, oh, hey, I have music. I, mm. I, I can soothe the savage beast. It's, some, some, there is suddenly a need for this, or yeah, let, let's suddenly invent a monster that is soothed by music. This has never been mentioned before and never be mentioned again. So, some of the games did notice this and some of them didn't. Yeah. So. And one, one could argue, I think, that, that looking back at the original was exactly the, the mistake the original show made. So, you know, you, you don't say, here is a new exciting story. You say, here is an utterly generic story, but it's got Cybermen in it. <laughs> and you, can, you can only burn off the accumulated goodwill for so long. Yeah. But okay, the, the first of these, um, which was published during, during the original show's run, uh, was the Fassa yeah. Doctor Who role-playing game. Um, came out in eighty five. Similar mechanics to the Star Trek role playing game. Don't know if you ever. No, I, 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 I think I suffered. My, my brain suffered through reading it at one stage. But I, I think it's fair to say, as, as with most games of the era, the, the mechanics weren't particularly tied to the setting. No. It's more here. Here is a simulation engine. 
now we will post in stats for the stuff that's in the show. That's, that's not necessarily a bad approach. Uh, for two gentlemen who, who, who like Gertz, we should not sneer at yeah. that approach too much. But uh, I, I think the argument that, I, that I'm going to be working towards here is that this yeah. is this is a setting where that really doesn't work. Yeah. And I don't... if it, Well, I'll, I'll come back to what I would do if I were going to run a Doctor Who role-playing game now, but okay. the, the, the clue will be I don't think I'd do it under Gertz. Anyway. Whoa! Uh, as, as we first here first... As with most games of, of that sort of area, it, it, it has shopping lists. It, yeah. it has lists of equipment, it has lists of stuff you can do, it, it, has, a, it has a list of things you can do with the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. We can assume our, our, re our readers know about Doctor Who, right? I, I think most, most of them have, have hidden behind the sofa in their time. It, it, it basically reads a lot like a fan work of the I will catalogue everything yeah. variety. And that, that's a style that would normally work for me, but in, in a program that at that point was 20 plus years old, yeah. where a few of the writers had cared a little bit about continuity, but it wasn't a big priority for anybody. No. And I, I think one has to say, it, there is a monster that appeared in one story, yeah. whatever it might be. Is that a thing that you put in the big book of monsters? So you have this long list of things that appeared once. Or is it an example of the sort of monster that appears in stories? Mm, yeah. The ideas that have picked up, been picked up and thrown, thrown away um, by Do Doctor Who and then not brought back when they could e easily be, be used to further narrative effect would fill several books. Mm. Uh, somebody's probably published one, but it would be an extremely futile thing to do to publish a nit nitpicker's guide to, uh, to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah... <laughs> Challenging one, yes. The, the the bits that aren't Doctor Who reference are, are strangely sparse. Um, yeah. Again, it, it's a game bit series. It's nineteen eighty five. There's an assumption that players will will be able to read between the lines and make stuff up and things. They don't need everything explained to them, are which, you, are, which yeah. is good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are they assuming that you're going to be the Doctor? You're going to be another Time Lord? You're going to be the the crew of the Tardis? <laughs> Well, they they give you stats for some, but not all of the companions. The the ones who were more involved in things. It's basically a fairly arbitrary selection, and yeah. and for various incarnations of the Doctor, it's it's a bit hazy on this. It it's generally assumed that you are being sent on missions by the Time Lords as, yeah. as your primary activity. Oh, the Celestial Intervention Agency. Yeah, which was a throwaway line by Robert Holmes, and should probably never have been brought back. Well, quite. It it's. It's putting a whole lot of structure onto a completely unstructured thing. Yeah. Um, so time, you go, look, yeah. yeah. The Time Lords are there to be mysterious and annoying in the background and interfere occasionally. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be the core of the, the campaign. Uh, I could, I could see you doing it, but an all Time Lords all of the time game would be really tedious. I know somebody who's involved with something along those lines on Second Life. But it's not a, not anything like what we would recognise as Doctor Who. Oh. Um, so you, you've, you've got that set up. It, it doesn't really have anything to say about playing a Time Lord versus playing somebody else. Hmm. Uh, none of them do really. And it should, uh, well, the, the Buffy role-playing game did this. Yeah. yeah you, you've got one person who has simply got vastly more of whatever character point style resource you have hmm. than the rest. So you have to have challenges for them and challenges for the, for the rest of them. Yeah. Um, but the, these games don't really come up with that in the same way. Yeah. I got the impression the latest one sort of. Does. It, it does a bit more. We'll we'll, we'll get okay, to right. that. Um, there's there's a a lot of stuff in the rules about combat. Mm. 
um, which, again, one could probably write off to the era, because it, it is at least reasonably deadly. Mm. You, know, you, you get shot by a Dalek, you're going to fall over. Um, it, it has this weirdly complex system of, a, of an interaction matrix. You know the old uh, basic role-playing resistance table called Cthulhu? I remember it well. It's the music. Um, it's basically an overgrown version of that. You you have your skill level and then modifiers versus the, the difficulty level of whatever you're going up against yeah. and modifiers and it comes down to a 2d6 roll, which can be auto-success or auto-failure. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, okay, I guess. I, I don't really like having to look up a table for every action I take. Mm. But it, it's not egregiously different from other, other games of the time. Then it has... The, the thing that a lot of people bounced off, I think, was, was op-end. Op-end? Which seems to me like the sort of thing you, you should see fla flashing on an illuminated button in a cockpit somewhere. But yeah. it, what, what you actually have, you, it's, it's a fatigue and hit point system. Okay. Operating endurance. But they always called it op-end. Because you did in those days. Essentially, all, all it comes down to is, if you are wounded, yeah. you're, the, the maximum level you can recover fatigue to goes down. Okay. Effectively, your, your, your fatigue level starts at where your current hit points are and goes down from there. Okay. But they, they take several paragraphs to explain this in, in, a, in a very confusing way. So, when you're hurt, you are losing energy. What are you using energy for? Well, it's more that you, you, cannot, you cannot be as rested once you have been wounded. Okay. So, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're half dead, you can, you can run half as far as you could before. Okay, yeah, that's arguable. Not the way I'd do it, but go on. But they they, they explain this with max op end and car op end, and yeah, it's you've got action points, which it's the same thing they used in in, in Star Trek, which yeah. it's it's nice in principle, and and I could see myself playing a game which used them, but for Doctor Who, it's a bit fiddly. You, you have your action points; you might have sort of six or ten or yeah, I, something I'm, like that. I've always found action points to be well, and, and, it's, it's rather board gamey. Yeah, it's it's very wargamey, and it, it's too much of a fuss. I'm, I'm rather yeah. against RuneQuest Six because it introduces something like action points. It's basically the, for for reference. It's basically the amount of stuff you can do in a turn. So yeah. you know you could draw and ready a weapon for two points, and then you could yeah. fire it for one point, and so on. And on on your turn, you you spend as many as you like of these. Mm. Any you don't spend, you can save for interrupting other people's actions later okay. on. But. It's awfully fiddly. A lot of games manage with the fundamental concept of you do one thing per turn. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure this is this is the right place to get away from that. Mm. It, it's not entirely devoid of humour. It, it's pretty dry, but you know, under the special TARDIS equipment chapter, there are two long paragraphs on jelly babies. I, I really hope that was an attempt at humour. <laughs> um. I don't want to go back to the PDF and look, and look those up. All right. <laughs> um, it's also, because, I think again, we're from the era, and particularly because it was derived from Star Trek. Yeah. Very specific skills, you know, botany, civil engineering, oh, ordnance construction and repair. Those things, I, I I can remember them. I can list the episodes in which civil engineering turned out to be a lifesaver. I'm sure. But what this means, I think, is especially with a small party, the chances are you won't have the skill you need in the party. Quite. So, it, it produced quite a few supplements and adventures. Um, 
they, they obviously had a lot of involvement with the BBC to start with the thing, the things plastered with uh, photographs from the show yeah. and so on. Uh, but I got the impression they rather took it in their own direction later. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a supplement in which some, somebody reveals that Adric was rescued from his certain death, and yeah, let's just not talk about that. <laughs> um, nothing, I think... nothing became his, him in this life like the leaving of it. <laughs> it's a feeling that many people have about Adric. I did occasionally see, see this being played, but very occasionally. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably very expensive because it was printed in the US and imported. Yeah. Um, Never really seemed to get much traction in the UK, at least. And I, I, I think that's probably an example of a, of a fairly traditional approach to yeah. a role-playing game applied to this. So, number two, which is only six years later, in 91, though, the show, the show was just barely off the air at this yeah. point. Um, and Virgin Books had a deal with the BBC to produce new Doctor Who novels. I remember some of them were quite good. And... This came out effectively as part of that, uh, written by Ian Marsh, former editor of White Dwarf, among other things, yeah. and Peter Darvill Evans, who, who was in charge of the book line. And really, I, if this had happened ten years later, it would have been called an indie game. Yeah. It, it's an early example of what I think of as a narrativist sort of game. Hmm. Um, you, you've got a list of... You, you've got stats still, and, and you've got traits that are associated with those stats... But you know, some of them are conventional skills, which are a bit broad, you know, things like medicine or robotics or mm -hmm. science, though screaming is also a skill, I should point out. Well, what good is it? Uh, and in this game, it, it has no mechanical effect, except for letting everybody know where you are. Yeah, all right. Um, but you, you also, and, and these just roll into the same um, tray system, uh, you, you have uh, things like bench thumping. You make make the equipment work, by, mm -hmm. or or cheat death, or resourceful pockets, <laughs> or or indeed gloating, which you can pay character points for. It is it is of negative value because it, it's quite specifically stated that if you if you have this, you are more likely to stop to stop and gloat when your enemy is is in, in um is it trouble. It, yeah, and th thereby give them time to sort themselves out. I mean, it, it is it is the skill that defines the master. Yeah. The mechanics are quite a lot more streamlined. Basically, you take the difficulty of what you're trying to do, subtract your attribute and skill, get a target number, you're trying to roll over that with d6 minus d6, mm -hmm. which is always positive or zero. Right. You don't care about the order of them. So no normally this is going to be about two that you add, yeah. so it gives you a rough idea of difficulty. It it it's not a very exciting system. Mm. Um, it did have a great big list of all the companions and most of the monsters, because... Yeah, we did. We didn't have the internet much in those days. Uh, it, it compared with the Fassel one, it does go into a bit more detail about the sort of thing the monsters do. You know, th this is what a this is what a Cyberman plot looks like. Yeah. This is what a Dalek plot looks like. So it, it, it's starting to get into the this is what their narrative role is, rather than just this is how much armor they've got. Yeah. Uh, it it did. I think it's fair to say pretty much fail in the market. It's a shame because I think it was jolly good. Um, it, it was published, well, as we said, by, by Virgin Books. It, it, it was it was standing alongside the novels in, in shops. Yeah, the, the, the text I saw con uh, contained a whole chapter out of out of uh, one of their uh, one of their uh, novels, one of the ones featuring Ace and uh, Sylvester McCoy Doctor. Yeah, um, which was a bit clunky, to be honest. Mm, well, yeah. So it, it, it was put out where, where it would appeal to potentially new gamers, yeah. and I think it may have, may have 
it, it did have a pretty good introduction about what is role playing and so on, but I, I think it may have been a bit a bit of a challenge for people who had never heard of role playing games before. Oh. Yeah, and it's, it's heart it's heart felt as if it was in the right place, but it was exceptionally nerdy. It felt it felt it felt to me. It it does have a great big list of all the companions and as many of the monsters as he could fit in. Hmm. Um, and th- there is a certain amount of look at this research I've done. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does bring me on, on to the third one, the Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space, um, published in 2009 yeah. um, uh, by Cubicle 7, which look, feels to me, I can only really call it a post-indie game. It, it's clearly taken on board the things that indie RPGs have, but it is huge and, and plush, and it's got commercial and glossy pictures all over the yeah. place and ma- huge production values. I think this goes even more in the direction of let us emulate the sort of thing that happens in the show. Yeah. So you, you've got a very very simple system which is you know stat plus skill plus two d six exceeded difficulty level. Uh, you also have story points. Companions have more story points than Time Lords, which is tries to compensate for their having yeah. fewer skills. It's the first time that that's been done in the Doctor Who game. You've got levels of success. The, the the skills get even broader than Time Lord. So you have things like subterfuge, which is all the sneaky yeah. stuff you might want to do. Uh, convince. What what I think of as advantages and disadvantages are separated out from skills here, and, and, the, and they're called you know, good trays and bad trays. Resourceful pockets is actually still in there under the same name. They've, they've clearly been looked at Time Lord, which is good. And the, the thing that makes this really obviously a game that is aim, aimed at complete novices is, well, for, first of all, it, it, it was done for the David Tennant version of the Doctor. Yeah. It, it's illustrated that. So it's got all, all the it, stats from that version of the Doctor, stats for all the companions. Uh, so here are immediately playable pregens. You can just yeah. carry on with carry on with, the, with the same characters. Um, which doesn't appeal to me as an experienced role player, but I think if I were yeah. more of a fan of the show and less of a role player, particularly if I were if I were the sort of person who writes fan fiction, might well be more appealing. Um, uh-huh. you, you've also got archetypes, so if, if you want to have a character who's mostly constructed for you, but but you can fill in some bits, yeah. you can do that, or you can generate a character from scratch. So well, is all, there, all, is all there the options a, are there. I don't, I don't, is there such a thing as a, an experience system? I don't think there. Um, I've didn't find one in, in, in my fairly cursory reading. Yeah. I, I think you you have you have a story point number, but I don't think you save those story points up to improve skills no. and things. Um, the resolution system we we talked about briefly when we were doing pulp space. Um, this this idea that the order in which things happen is based on what sort of things they are. So ev- everybody who is doing something talky Talk acts first. acts first yeah. in the round. Then the people who are running then the people who are doing other things, then the people who are actually fighting. Yeah. Um, in, encouraging you to... If somebody is pointing a gun at you, do something clever rather than point a gun back. Also, yeah. also combat is deadly, especially to squishy humans. Yeah, combat but... is deadly in all of these, but it's especially so here. I, I think so, somebody worked out that there is actually no weapon in, in the book yeah. accessible to humans that will damage a Dalek. Which is as it should be. Hmm. Well, there are... You, you shove Daleks yeah. off cliffs. You blow them up with their own bombs. Yeah. You hit them with a, with a cosmically charged baseball bat, as I seem to recall. You throw a jacket over their eye stalk. Yeah. You, you, break their, you break what is left of their poor little hearts. 
a lot in the new series. <laughs> so that that's the core book, and I, I think it's had an advantage in that it didn't have to try to cover the entire show. Yeah. It was just going for the current one. There, there is now a new version of the core book for the Matt Smith version of the Doctor, which is fair enough. Um, what, what there also are you, that you can add on to these is, is source books of the old show, yeah. well, one per one per Doctor, and these really are gems. Um, it starts with the significant characters. Yeah. All, all the companions get their stats so that they're playable characters again. Um, but the bulk of it is, is looking at each story, analysing the themes of it, um, which gives you inspiration for more adventures, giving notes on, you know, here, here is this plot hole that could be resolved with another adventure, or here is, here is some sort of spin-off adventure you could run as a result of this. It, it, it's a completely narrative approach, and I, I think it's exactly what games based on this show need. Yeah. Um, it's a, here is the sort of story that was being told during this era. Yeah, some of them don't, do not bear looking at too hard, but yeah. Yeah, but e even the bad ones give you some idea of hmm. here is what was going on and here is, at least here is what was being attempted. But, uh, no, if, if you have an adventure with Daleks in it, it should be an adventure that takes advantage of them being specifically Daleks. Yes. Yeah. This, this is a licensed game. It is actually Doctor Who. It is not generic time travel game. No, quite. Rather than an adventure about generic nasties who want to shoot you. This is, uh, whilst I use the word nerdish, um, in a less complimentary sense, uh, about two minutes ago, this this strikes me as as the good nerdy. It, it, it's not the obsessive cataloger. No. Even though it's doing obsessive cataloging, it's 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 doing it in a way that says, "Yeah, this is a show. They made mistakes. This bit of this bit of it didn't work." It also says, "But here's how you can get good game out of it." Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, it's the good impulse towards fanfic and scenarios based based off the well. What we have, and taking it as found art and making it into something mm. you can use. Yeah, it it doesn't. I think this may be it. It doesn't suffer from an, from an excess of respect for the source material. Yeah, and it's it's saying it's there and it's fun, but it's not saying it's perfect. Yeah. You said earlier that you the way I talked earlier about the way you would do a Doctor Who game. Yeah. What have you got that, that... What do you think it needs that it isn't catered for? I think that the new game is very close, but I think I might... Slightly slightly more gumshoey, if anything. Slightly more slightly more narrative-focused. So, at, at the moment, you, you, you have your skills and powers and stuff. Yeah. And you can use them whenever you want to. And you can use... Now, I, I don't want to do the whole gumshoe thing where you go down, but yeah. I'm wondering whether you should have... If you want to do something that is significant, then you have to spend some sort of call, call, call it story points and have more more yeah. story points floating around. So you know you you can always talk about being a pilot, but you will actually be a pilot quite rarely. Well, I think I would. I would the route I would go is you define. You define what a character is. I mean, th this was more old who then than the new who a character came on board with a certain skill set a certain past history and a certain attitude predefined and sometimes this was completely ignored and often often <laughs> far too bloody often because the, the script editors didn't give a damn and reminded the script writers all too often this was completely ignored but I think you should have one of the things the story points should I do is the uh, 
Al Calavici effect from uh, uh, Quantum uh, the Al the ch- the, ca- the chap who was from in oh, Quantum right. Leap who was uh, always advising the hero. He always had a relevant relevant skill or piece of experience that he could throw into the pot every single week. But I tell you, I ran away to join the circus when I was a boy. Yeah, I I would I would still like to have. Um, skills and advantages and disadvantages on people's sheets. Yeah. But I think there should be some way of saying, oh, well, I never mentioned it before, but yeah. I just happen to be able to. It might be in there. I'm not sh- I'm not sure if I've read the rules well enough, but it I should ha- be. I haven't, haven't seen it there. Um, you, you can spend story points to do minor amendments like that, but, um, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm going to boost my success roll and uh, think, yeah. things of that sort, and, and you can spend lots. That the, if it gets a bit fuzzy, you can spend lots of story points and be awarded lots of story points if you're going to do something terribly self-sacrificing. But this should really be arranged in advance with the GM and things like that. Oh, I don't know. surprise the GM. <laughs> I think I, I think you should be if you can if you can use story points to create. Oh, there's a fire extinguisher over here, just where I need it. Then you should be able to say, "Aha! Actually, opening one of these safes is particularly easy." A friend of mine showed me the trick of it once. And for consistency with the show, that doesn't need to be something that then goes on to the character sheet. And this is my objection to shows. Yeah. But if you're trying to emulate the show, you have to get you have to do this. You you come up with something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I happen to know I happen to know how to get through this sort of padlock, and then it never gets mentioned again. Yeah. It, well, it, and that, that, that seems it's, to be a classic sounds... example of spending an expendable resource on it. You haven't put it onto your character sheet. Quite. You've just done it the once off. And that particular type of padlock will never ever come up again. <laughs> Honestly, you know, we're not we're not simulating. There are a large variety of padlocks out there for game for story purposes. You need to spend the point. Yeah, I'm, the the other thing is, I, I would be actively encouraging players to come up with background detail. Yeah, um, which even even the new one doesn't really do. Are we talking about about capabilities or personality details? Both, really. Yeah, well, you know, invent a whole planet. Um, it, it, yeah, with a GM veto, perhaps. But well, I think that power should be reserved to the player of the Doctor. <laughs> but for for purposes of all right, you know, there, there, Captain, there, there should be new partners as well. There should be new stuff popping up all the time, because that's what the show did. Yeah, and I, I think taking some of that burden off the GM would be a good thing. Yeah, all right. The plan. Uh, we need a plan to the hairdressers this week. But yeah, the, I, I think this is one of the better examples that I could accidentally arranged of the the narrative forms being completely different. Yeah, uh, this is not this is not a thing that is well served by a classic role playing game, even a really good classic role playing game, mm. because because they they are about knowing knowing what you can do. And this is about not knowing what you can do, but coming up with something on the spur of the moment. You're right. Hmm. You can only hope that your players are going to improvise better than the scriptwriters sometimes do. Because sometimes they come up with things that are so tone. Never mind. That's an entirely <laughs> different rant. You've had the rant for this episode. And um, my rant about uh, about the occasional tone deafness, especially in New Who, um, could occupy large books. I, I know people have written books like that. Yeah, yeah let, let's recommend Andrew Wilson. Absolutely. In time. Well, we we would encourage you. Actually, I would encourage you to go out and buy. And if you're anywhere near me, please run. 
some Doctor Who role-playing games. And for now, I think we wrap up this episode. Hmm. This has been Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. Please send us your list of five things you want to be incorporated into the scenario. Your rant against uh, desperate trends in modern role-playing games, or your design for a Doctor Who role-playing game, to us via the, by comments at the website or by podcast at tekeli.ly. And we hope you have a wonderful summer. We'll be back in a month.